You're listening to Impact Is Own, your home for the latest news, analysis, and opinions on Michigan State men's basketball with your hosts, Trent Valley, Luke Sloan, and Brendan Shabath. Welcome in to the Impact Is Own. It is currently February 1st, just almost 7 p.m. Or no, 6 p.m., correct me. Uh, yeah, and we're about to get hit by a train of yeah. a snowstorm. Everybody so. grab your shovels. Do you, Stretch before you shovel, by the way. Snow you need to stretch before is you shovel. Is that a shovel. thing? Is that a yeah. Thing? You have to stretch before you shovel or you could strain something. I, I listened to this on the radio today. This is a tangent to start. The, everything everything on the radio is true. I was just going to say that. But yeah. apparently, like, when, when heavy snows happen, a ton of people get injuries by, like, straining themselves Hernias. when they're shoveling snow. So st- stretch yeah. out there. Get your shovels out. Get your salt out. Yeah. When you're listening to this podcast, we'll probably already have eight inches of snow on the ground, so... Well, the fun thing we, is I started talking about snow as Brendan was introducing us. So Brendan should probably drop our names. Well, right. and then I mean, yeah. So, so uh, that's back Trent in the host chair. We got Luke Sloan here. I'm hosting. I'm Brendan Shabath. But but real quick on the snow still, it is currently 45 degrees outside. Yeah, it feels awesome. like we are spring. scheduled for a foot of snow or more tonight. Yeah. I, I sat at my desk all day in my apartment and did homework, and I literally watched the snow outside melt. I sat down at about noon, and I left it, you know, at 6 right now. Over the course of four hours, it melted. It's gone now. I had a, a class at Service Road in Bogue, where you guys will probably understand, but our listeners might not. Anyways, I had to walk across this large lawn to a, a small ocean get to class. Well, well, so oh, I, I went at my class was at ten twenty, so I'm walking across ten fifteen, whatever it was, and it's all snow. I've got my boots on. It's you know I'm fine, and I drove past that same lawn to get here, grass. Pure grass. All the snow off of it is gone. Oh, yeah. I've got it, a... It's, I've I don't got know a, what's happening. <laughs> today's been an unbelievable day in yeah. East Lansing. We got Wi-Fi outages. We got trains causing traffic. We got a snowstorm coming. We got all kinds of chaos. But I have a funny story about trekking to class, though, and also getting wet because the snow is all melted. Freshman year, I had a class in Wells. I had no absences left. It was April. The Red Cedar River flooded onto the sidewalk, like well onto the sidewalk. I was huffing it to class because I, I was running a little bit late. I, I see that there's barricades. Everything is all flooded. There's a foot of water on the sidewalk. No absences, running late. I just went in the water. It was up to my ankles. I got soaked, but I made it to class on time. So it, everything was right in the world. You are a better man than I. I was trudging through the banks of the Red Cedar, which had spilled over onto the sidewalks of the Red Cedar. Got to do it for the four-point, man. Yeah. Got to do it for the four-point. I don't but, hey, the... think it was a four-point, but it was a pass. <laughs> well, so. Yeah, I, I'm trying <laughs> to help you out, They don't need to know that. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. Trying, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to throw you a lob here. But, no, yeah, I, this the, is a basketball podcast. This, I'll slam it down. The stereotype about Michigan weather gets thrown about all the time. It gets just thrown around loosely, like, oh, Michigan, wait five minutes and whatever. But, like, today, that's actually it true. It is true. We're going to wake up with six inches yeah. of snow. So This lot, is the weather podcast lot, now. A lot going on in East Lansing today, and we are fresh off of a thrilling, exciting, fantastic, loud, big, huge, humongous, pummeling of that school down the road. Uh, on Saturday, January 29th, by the Michigan State Spartans. Hell of a MSU, weekend, too. Hell of a weekend yeah. in, great time. in total. It was a great time. MSU beats the Wolverines 83-67. to The three of us were in attendance there. And if we're being honest, 83-67, it was not that close either. No, it was up to 21, I believe, yeah. at one point, or and 20. that's probably where it should have stayed. Michigan got a couple. Like. 
They got um, six points in the last ninety seconds, I think. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was a really it was a really good game, and uh, it was a, a close first half. Michigan State led at the break, thirty nine thirty five. Hunter Dickinson had fourteen of his total game high twenty five points in that first half. Um, but Michigan State came out firing on all cylinders in the second half and just put the Wolverines to bed. It wasn't close. Looking at some of the final numbers, four Spartans reached double digits. Max Christie had 16 points, three rebounds. A.J. Hogard had undoubtedly his best game in a Spartan uniform, 11 points, a career-high 10 assists, just one turnover. Joey Hauser put up 14 points, two rebounds, two assists, and was also the hardest-working player on the floor the entire game. Malik Hall also tallied 15 points, six rebounds, and three steals. Michigan State shot 55% from the floor, 50% from deep. There's not a lot to really say about this game other than, in my opinion, and, and I want to turn it to you guys after I say this, my take on this game is that Michigan State probably has better quote-unquote wins this year. We look at quad one and you know resume building and stuff like that. This is a down Michigan team that they beat at home. Um, but the way Michigan State played the past couple games at Illinois – even at Wisconsin in the start, losing to Northwestern at home, playing Minnesota at home. This is, in my opinion, the single best game Michigan State has played this season. I know a lot of people like to bring up the argument that they didn't play well in the first half, and I don't necessarily think that's true. I think they did play well. In the, they scored almost 40 points. You know, on a regular Michigan State day where they don't play as well as they do, they're probably down five, six, seven at half to to a Michigan team that put up thirty five. I half. thought they would be down at half, to be honest. Yeah. Like before the so game even I. started, I just thought oh, this no, seemed like one of those games where Michigan State would get off to a slow start and then kind of get it together late. But. I thought you were going to say in game as the half started, you thought they were going to be down, but I actually agree. Oh yeah, with you. before the game though, I, yeah, I was just like, I told my roommate knows? that before we left for the Breslin, I was like, my sneaky prediction is that they're going to be down at halftime and then come back and win pretty handily and yeah obviously it was 39 35 at halftime but no I agree with you Brendan the first 10 minutes of the first half was how you'd expect a rivalry game both teams were kind of trying to figure out what the flow of the game was like some weird whistles some early fouls oh my god you you went through the kind of the ringers of a rivalry game but the last 10 minutes the pace really picked up Michigan State got out and ran a lot in the last first 10 minutes of the first half and even though they were only up you know, by four, you could definitely feel the momentum swinging to their side going into the locker room. So I agree with you that, you know, it wasn't, it was a tale of two halves, a tale of two cities, a tale of two halves. The The first half of the, of the first half of the first half was eh, expected. The second half was, in my opinion, very good. Yeah, the game, in my opinion, Brennan, you read off some of the stats. The, the thing is, we could literally read every single player's box score on the Spartans because 10 guys scored. That includes Keon Coleman. So if you don't want to count that, call it nine. Nine guys, all, everyone in the rotation scored. And that, to me, was impressive because it simply just means that this team is a unit. We always talk about who's going to be that leader to lead the team in March. And for me, I think for this Michigan State team, the emotional leader is more important than anything, and that's Gabe Brown. It's already established. Malik Hall's also right there with them, the heart and soul, and they're the two captains. So that, to me, is set in stone. What was impressive was Max Christie, after a terrible two-point outing at Illinois, comes around and leads the team in scoring to victory. You know, Malik Hall, Joey Hauser, all these guys getting involved. A.J. Hogard with a double-double, as you mentioned, Brennan. It was just a full-team effort, and my whole take on this is the same thing I said on Green and White Report, is that that, I think, Brennan, I completely agree with you, that was the best game the Spartans have played this year, and it still wasn't the best game they can play. 
because Gabe Brown didn't scratch in the first half. Yeah. I mean, I think that was 90% of this team's potential, but I still think there's a ways to go there, and that's good news because they are factually a, you know, they're number 13 in the AP poll. They dropped three spots due to the Illinois game, but I think it's a top te- top 10 team in the country if they just stay focused because that's all it is, man. We always talked early season about how the turnovers will bite them in the ass at some point. It finally did against Northwestern and Illinois, and then finally now you're able to, you know, just focus, get your eyes on the prize, and look, then you end up with these games where nine guys score. And Marcus Bingham is an unsung hero, even though he only has four points, but he plays great defense. This team just, I, I feel really good about where this team is at, and it's because of that Michigan win. Let me spin a web for you real quick, Trent, before, spin it. before I give my thoughts about Brendan's question that he introduced. It's October 13th, maybe 14th, 2021. I tell you that Keon Coleman scores points against Michigan at the Breslin Center. Wild. You would call. You would say. You would react how? Well, I'd probably. I would probably not think that it was anything meaningful. I mean, it would probably be like a you know Stephen Izzo at the oh, free throw line type I situation. I thought you were going to say, oh, they're playing the the football team's playing pickup and Keon Coleman scored a basket. Oh, at the well, that could have that could have worked. I mean, number one, he, we didn't expect him to be on the team, right? And then number two, well, I don't know. Some people may have a little bit, but. I mean, obviously, Michigan State got this game to a point where they could afford to put him in. But to go back to your question, Brendan, I think the only game that could potentially rival this one might be the Wisconsin win on the road. That was a, a, a end-to-end fantastic performance. UConn was another good one. They played Butler, very Butler well. Butler was pretty wired. Butler's not a good team, but Butler was pretty wired to wired. Too. I, I will say, I, will say I guess the argument against the Wisconsin game is that, you know, they, they figured it out pretty quickly, but they started 8-0, like down 8-0. Also, so an, an the underrated. first four minutes were not good, too. They didn't right. play well. In the like this right. game, there was not a bad four-minute stretch in this game. Yeah, and an underrated part of that Wisconsin game and the Illinois game, when you look at 12 turnovers for Michigan State against Wisconsin, 11 against Illinois, only one in the second half. Neither of those teams force a lot of turnovers. I think right. Wisconsin is outside the top 250 in Ken Palm in that. I think Illinois is outside the top 200 in uh, turnover percentage um, offensively. And so so it's like, yeah, did you not turn the ball over or did you play a team did who you just, just doesn't right, yeah. get out and do that? But, Trent, you brought up a really good point, I think, that Tom Izzo brought up in his presser after the game was that they played a really good game, but it's not the level that they can play. Yeah, no, it, it's to. close, but I definitely don't think it's their best game. I mean, I, I do I, agree I, though with you, Brendan, that it's the best so far. I mean, fifty-five percent from the field, fifty percent from three. They held a conference opponent to under seventy points yeah. in a rivalry game. I agree with I agree with both of you. They can still build on this. Bingham only scored four points, and I agree with you that this has been the best so far this season. So I mean, that checks two boxes of things that are good, you know, good to look forward to on the horizon, in my opinion. And I think this was a really good game, not only for Michigan State just getting back to their old ways of defend, rebound, run, and outworking other teams like they haven't done this season. Uh, but they 28 to 16 fast break points. Yeah. That's a big number, yeah. not and, to interrupt you. And No, you're fine. And and the, the one number on the box score, I don't remember what it was, that kind of stood out was the offensive rebounds they gave up to. Michigan sixteen to six in yeah. favor of the Wolverines. Yeah. That's gonna have to be addressed. Right. But they also got out rebounded to overall too. So Yeah. And, and Musa Diabate was rather surprising in that game in his performance, especially on, on the glass. And obviously Hunter Dickinson is gonna do what he does. But this game I think elevated the confidence drastically of at least three, maybe four not only starters, but 
major key players on this team. And I want to start with Marcus Bingham Jr. I was going to say, I wanted to play a guessing game. I was going to guess the four that you were thinking. Okay, so so there's one. Bingham. Yeah. Trent, help me out here. Christy. Yeah. Hauser. Joey. Yep. AJ. Yeah. Okay. That didn't take too long. Bingo! Those those four, I think, are really going to use this game, and, and it helps that Michigan State has... Rutgers and Maryland as they're next to, or I should say Maryland and then Rutgers, and if we're going uh, in chronological order, as their next two games as teams that they just plain and simple should beat, and, and it should be a, a kind of tune-up almost for the Spartans. But I think Marcus Bingham Jr., similar to the Illinois game, had the best and the most energy to start this Michigan game. He didn't score a lot, but he had eight rebounds. He had four blocks. He had two steals. He, he two blocks in the first six minutes too. Yeah, just yeah. locked in against Hunter Dickinson. Right, and he was getting, you know, not, I wouldn't say bullied. I think that's a little bit too strong of a word. But he was getting worked down low. I mean, Dickinson has thirty. He's a great offensive player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even still, Bingham didn't back down. He held his he, own on a couple he, too. He, I mean, look, like yeah, not to he cut you off. I just a bunch of shots too. That was something I was watching. That's a great point, Brendan, because I was just going to say that for every shot Bingham blocks, he alters three or four. I mean, he is his presence is that felt down there, and he's finally starting to take pride in it. I think that's the awesome thing about it is, yes, he did take two three pointers. He was wide open. The Spartans were ahead. I don't think that's a sustainable shot. I, you know, newsflash, but. Uh, God, one of those was a set play. Can you believe that? Yeah, I know. That's un- that's unbelievable that they yeah. set up a three-pointer for Mark. If I, I told you three months ago that they set up a three-point play for Marcus Bingham Jr. I would have, have thought that he's going to win the Wooden Award. But yeah. anyways, I, 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 the reason I say that is because he only took four shots in the game. Two of them were threes, and the other two he made down in, down in the post. One of them was the first points of the game for the Spartans. So it's like... He wasn't the he was not locked in on offense because he didn't have to be. His job was to be the anchor on defense, and I still am always constantly beating the drum for him to get some more damn playing time because he deserves it, man. I mean, he opens that that game with two blocks and Izzo yanks him at at, at the seventeen minute mark, and I just that is my only regret. I think my it wasn't only gripe he picked up point. a foul. Didn't he pick up a foul in the yeah, first? Yeah, yeah. And so that's they why and, subbed. Yeah. and honestly, that's typically the rotation, anyways, is they throw right. marble in within the first three four minutes. But I, it's just, I don't like that. Though. When the crowd's you. rolling and Bingham has two blocks in the first three four minutes of the game, you gotta leave. Leave him in, him in for another yeah. two. See if he gets another block. Maybe right. he throws down a dunk, and yeah. then you're you go on a seven zero run or whatever. Yeah. My but, opinion is that I think that first line change that usually hits before the under sixteen should be Malik for Hauser, AJ or AJ for. Tyson and then usually kind of right after the under 16 you'll see uh Aikens come in I would instead of substituting Marble in before the under 16 I would substitute Marble and Aikens in together after the under 16 I agree that I mean it's every game of the year they sub him out before the under 16 yeah every single one and to your point I think you you and I were talking about this Bingham's got a block in the first four minutes of like every damn game this season yeah he every sets the tone game. and the best one was Loyola I know that seems like ages ago now yeah. but you remember that he I mean he had seven yeah. in that game seven and I thought he was gonna have a triple double yeah on blocks and some history for him as well that we previewed and highlighted yeah, on he's the now third all time in Michigan State blocks I think and he's got the chance he's, to go higher. Oh I yeah, think. no, no. I think he'll definitely. I think he's at one forty six, and Tillman, who's first, is at one fifty three. Oh so he's God. he's going to end up being the. He might yeah. be there after this week. At Rutgers in Maryland. Right. Yeah. No kidding. Which so is, I, 
we say all that to say this. Like, I think we would all agree that Marcus Bingham is maybe not the key, but one of the keys to this team unlocking that 100% potential. If they are at like an 80-90, as as I believe they are, and I think you guys would agree they're in that ballpark. Like, they they can still. There's a little more to give, and I think some of it comes from Marcus. Some of it comes from Joey Hauser stringing together good games. The offensive and some of it comes well. from Gabe Brown and the offensive rebounding yeah. and the turnovers. There's little slices of you know this whole situation, but. Bingham is a big piece of it, in my opinion. And 13 turnovers was better, but there were a lot of them in the first half. Nine. Yeah. Nine in the first half. Which, I mean, it's a good trend, at least, that they cut them down in the second half. They've done, yep. they've done that three games in a row now. But the next big I want to talk about, or then we'll continue with the bigs and the four players that I mentioned, is Joey Hauser. And we talked about it after the Minnesota game, in which he had the buzzer beater and we were all in agreement that there was no better player on Michigan State to get that bucket, and that was huge for his confidence. But I think this might have been the quote-unquote real game that Joey Hauser needed, where I think he knocked down two threes, uh, grabbed a couple rebounds, grabbed a couple assists, but obviously Loose balls. anybody that was watching 12 was, in the second half. The, the, the storylines for Hauser were the loose balls that he got on the floor for that lit up the Breslin Center crowd yes. and brought tears to Izzo's eyes. And him, Literally. Co- him coming in when Marble had four fouls, Bingham had four fouls. And, and you're trying to bring it home. Dickinson. And you're trying to get this yeah. thing home. And there's, there's still six, seven minutes seven, left. Michigan could minutes, make a run. Seven minutes left. He checks back in. I think they're up 17, 18. And Dickinson did score a few, but he also missed a few. And, and Hauser did not back down and, and played fantastic defense on Dickinson. And I think hearing Izzo say what he said after the press conference – hearing the crowd chant his name, Joey, Joe, like that's huge for him. And I think this could that could really be a springboard for him moving forward, knocking down shots, being uh, kind of a Dennis Rodman type for Michigan State. I don't know if he quite has that motor, but to make well, plays like that on occasion will yes, be huge. And there's two of them, actually, because Malik Hall Mal- Mal- Malik is also – Rodman since well, last – yeah. October, you've been – You're just – Brennan, you, you nailed it, though, because that is kind of – Joey does have that dog in him. It's just he doesn't always have the confidence. Right. And if he's able to build that up, then you're going to have two junkyard dogs and Joey and Malik. I'll so I love too. it. Uh, to your point, Brendan, you know, the extra, the stuff that's not on the box score, the, the loose balls he chased down, the hustle plays he made, you know, he, I mean, it, that could have been a real exploitation of him defensively. You know, Dickinson could have gone for 10 points in seven minutes, but he really stood his own. I give him a lot of credit. He was very physical with Dickinson in the post. I give the officials credit. They didn't call things that, you know, given their history in that game, probably could have been called put some pushing and shoving in the post. But I think this was Hauser's best game shooting the basketball since Wisconsin on Christmas Day last year. Yeah. he There was a, a stretch of time. He hit a couple of threes. He hit a couple of long twos. That corner three-pointer really put the game away with, I think, three minutes left. There was a 10 to 15-minute stretch of basketball when he didn't miss shooting the basketball. I have not seen that with him in almost or in over a calendar year. It was Wisconsin Christmas Day, the last time he was that lethal. And it's like, hey, he can rebound the basketball. He makes hustle plays. 90% of the time, he's going to be at the four and not going to need a guard fives, even though he did it better in this game. And now, if you're saying he's going to shoot the basketball a little bit better too, I mean, man, to your point, Trent, kind of getting Hauser more consistent is kind of one of those keys to unlock better things for this team in the future. I mean, this game is a big a big thing going toward that. Moving over to the guards, I think the main uh, – we talked about Christine Hogard being the two guards that this could also help. 
uh, springboard their confidence. This was a really big game for AJ, but a lot of people don't didn't realize that, and I talked about it on the cast. Um, Love the cast. AJ came into— Not the, one on your hand. Yeah. AJ came into the Michigan game um, with a 3.0 assist-to-turnover ratio in the last three games. That's only going to skyrocket after a 10-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio in the, in the Michigan game. But I think he might have really realized his potential to pass the ball and facilitate. And there were definitely stretches in that second half where in a normal game, A.J. would have been subbed out and Tyson Walker would have been subbed in. But it was working to keep A.J. in, and and the fast break was working, and the half court was working, and he was seeing everybody. And specifically the fast break is what stood out to me because A.J. is one of the best guards in the Big Ten, in my opinion, at grabbing the ball, foul line extended in the front court, dribbling it all the way coast to coast up the floor and making a layup through contact. He's one of the best at that, and that's really good and beneficial, but it's not sustainable, and a lot of times he can do that and then get caught right when he gets to the basket and he doesn't want to shoot it. Happened to Illinois twice. And that's what leads to these turnovers where he's up in the air, maybe he gets double-teamed, ball Offensive off foul. his foot, yeah, yeah, something like that. And a lot of his 10 assists in the Michigan game were in transition, in particular the one to Joey Hauser that we all Some remember. Long where he's ones as well. Wide open, down low, streaking to the basket. But I think that's going to be really big for him moving forward in transition. I completely agree, and I mean, the thing that the three of us have really praised him for in transition especially is kind of just going downhill like a running back and really just making plays, getting to the basket with ease and finishing. There are not too many guards that can block his shot when he gets downhill, but he threw at least three baseball passes in transition, which was was great to see, and really just dropping dimes in transition as well. I mean... The thing about this kind of forecasting beyond this game is that this team really has two point guards that I'm comfortable with playing closing minutes. Uh, Either Tyson or AJ, it's been both of them this season. Yeah, I I think that, at least for me, I think you probably agree with me, Trent, that if they go on a game-by-game basis, whoever's got the hot hand, this team's got multiple point guards that can close the game out or both of them can play at the same time. The thing that we've always said about AJ – and it's it's you know a credit to him is that he's the more surgical point guard of the two that you have. He's the one that's more of a floor general, and that's not a slight to Tyson because Tyson has you know uh, pros of his own that that AJ doesn't quite have. And that Sloan, you're exactly right that him in transition is a dangerous game to play if you're if you're opposing defenses because you don't know whether to crash on him or to get out and guard some of these perimeter shooters. Because I tell you, the Spartans have some people who can shoot, and we already know that. But, yes, A.J. Hogard deserves a hell of a lot of credit for that win because, hey, to have a double-double and, and and do it in that way against that team in that situation, I think he only played like 20-some minutes. Like It's not like he played the whole game. It was impressive. And now on to Christie. Oh, my goodness. The thing that He really, couldn't miss in the first half. And that was fan, and I think he had 14, 14 of his 16 in the first half. Yeah. But the thing that stood out to me is the, the chirping at the end of the game. Uh-huh. Yeah. I – have never first of all pause everything let's go back to that and I don't I'm sure you guys saw saw my tweet about that but Caleb Houston and Musa Diabate who are two newcomers to this rivalry they don't yes, quite understand right. it yet yep Caleb Houston in particular gets an and one with 56 seconds left down by 15 and Malik Hall was the uh fouler 
and starts talking back. And then Malik says something. And then you can see Diabate and Christie getting into it. And Hauser's there. And Hogard and Bingham was Bingham was on the bench Clowning begging him. Izzo yeah. to, to like let him back in the game. This was at the it was this free throw that Michigan State subbed out all their starters yep. and put in all the reserves. And Hogard wanted to stay in and Hall wanted just so they could keep talking shit to Michigan. And Christie talked back. Which was so awesome to me because it's have, so not characteristic. We've never, for him. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen him speak right. to anybody that's not Tom Izzo on, in a game this season. Yep, like I, I think I've seen him maybe talk to to Tyson or somebody on the floor, obviously, which is very likely. But we just haven't seen that kind of edge from him yet, and you could tell he picked it up right away. What this rivalry means, what winning that game means, what that meant for the fans, for the team, for Tom Izzo. And, and you know he's just talking. You're talking shit. You're down 15 yeah, well, points. He, you're exactly right, Brennan, because he came into the game firing away, knocking down big shots. Like the Wolverines had an early six point lead, and Michigan State was able to obviously claw right back and be up at halftime. But it was because of Max Christie and Malik Hall. So for Max to be able to come in, feel that intensity, feel that pressure, feel how much these two teams hate each other, and you've got it at home. And given all the context of what happened in the game beforehand, by the way, I don't think Michigan would have rescheduled this game had they beaten the Spartans. Uh, oh, but, that's but an interesting thought. Yeah. Maybe, maybe well, that, Cause, that's cause a question for the, later. Maybe that is a good point because I don't know because I didn't when I when the game first got canceled, my instinct was to look at the calendar of both teams and see where they could fit it. And I remember talking about it with you and Luke yeah. that neither one of these teams has more than a five day break in between games the rest of the year and that Michigan had one five day break and every every other break in between games was two maybe three days and they rescheduled it for March 1st which now gives Michigan three games in five days but they are all at home yeah so so it is two tough games Illinois Michigan State so Illinois is the 27th, Michigan State's the first, and then Michigan plays Purdue on the third. Or not yeah. Purdue, Iowa on the third. Well, of course, Michigan needs these wins, though, too, and I think right. that has something to do with it. Had they gone and beaten Michigan State at the Breslin Center, that would be a yeah, more impressive win, then yeah. they wouldn't have even messed around with it. But I don't right. know. But just, ne- just a theory. But Now they need a quad one win, and they're going to need it close to March and try to get that recency by. So that's I didn't think about that at all. That's an interesting point that that, that you brought up there, but – yeah, it was it was nice to see Max shoot that way. And then the other uh, storyline I have tabbed here that we haven't talked about yet is I asked Malik Hall and media availability Thursday before the game that um, after the Illinois game, Tom Izzo said that we should have been going to Malik earlier. We were trying to go to Julius earlier. Malik ended up having a good offensive game in the second half. We should have been going to him. So I asked Malik, you know, what – do you have to do to like make that happen yourself? What do you have to change? How do you make that? And obviously he said being more aggressive is one, but he said what he does a lot is he takes too long to survey the other team and observe them and, and how they're playing him. Very smart player. How they're playing other guys. So he's an observer and um, he got, he, first of all, they went to him early and it just plain and simple worked. And Malik Hall needs to be, the guy who gets the first set play when he subs in at the under-16 timeout, and they need to run the offense Get him for going. him more. And he said, too, because uh, he was asked um, a follow-up from state news reporter Sean Ryder basically to my question on Thursday after the game on Saturday. He said, what did you do differently in this game to get going early? 
And Malik said, I didn't even think I just went. So I wasn't observing. I wasn't trying to see other. I just went, yep. and it worked. And and he finished with six or fifteen points, six rebounds, and three steals. That's a great point, Brendan. Because when we talk about this team turning the corner, that's exactly what you want to hear. You want to hear a guy like Malik Hall, who's been up and down and has had criticism for it, even though I think it's been unfair. It's just nice to hear him say, "Yeah, I'm gonna just go, man. I'm gonna just go." He's one of the leaders on the team, and that's something to watch. That's a great point. His turnaround, Jay. Is just a shot that Dude, he, he it, did not have oof, before this yeah. season. It's smooth. I also want to apologize on behalf of the from the desk of Luke Sloan. My bank was calling me to make sure that there wasn't fraud committed with oh. my <laughs> card. <laughs> so if I went away for about four minutes and you didn't hear my voice, I was making sure that my money wasn't making gone. sure that there wasn't some yeah. dude in Utah yeah, buying it, cars. It with turns your name. out we are okay, but you know what? Thank you, Key Bank, for making yeah. sure that I didn't get robbed. Key Bank. It, it's it's with Malik though. It's all of a sudden becoming a common thing. I think he's second on the team in scoring now. In these big games that Michigan State wins, it's 12 points. It's 15 points a night. All of a sudden, part of that winning formula is him scoring in double figures and shooting the basketball well. So, I mean, who would have thought that, too? I mean, that was supposed to be Joey's job, and both of them did it in this game. Yeah, and I want to go to Michigan first, too. So what we what, what I didn't do when we first started talking about this game was read off how Michigan did. So we talked about Hunter Dickinson, 25 points, just six rebounds. Thing that I didn't notice uh, post-game on the Impact Zone post-game show, three turnovers for Dickinson, three turnovers for Houston, two for Diabate, and I believe Devontae Jones also had three turnovers. And they weren't just turnovers. They came in horrific spots. Yeah. Dunks happened after them. I'm looking at points off turnovers right now. Michigan State had 17 the, the turnovers resulted in big-time momentum plays that got the Michigan State crowd back into the game. So they only had 13 turnovers, but I'd add a half point for every turnover that was— or I'd add, I'd add half a turnover to that total for every one that was a momentum play because there were some— the loudest moments of the Breslin Center was when there was a turnover and then a Hauser three-pointer or a Gabe Brown Gabe dunk. Brown's dunks so, are always haymakers, dude, man. the one where he got it up, up at the top of the square with one hand— that was wow. head was at the rim. Wow, it's twenty thirteen LeBron, literally right at the rim, head at the rim. It's all it's it's incredible. At the end of our tenures, we could potentially have like a Gay Brown highlight dunk reel. I mean, how many good ones have we seen in the Breslin that he's had? Yeah, yeah. and and that that is a, an underrated part of Gabe's game too. That um, you guys might have seen. Um, on Twitter, when I went on the Left Bench TV, the guys from Maryland Student Journalists. Yes, I watched that this afternoon. Yeah, they uh, they had folks me, over there at Maryland. They had me go on Zoom and preview the uh, Michigan State Maryland matchup that is happening tonight momentarily. If you're listening to this, likely on Wednesday. While yes, it's snowing. Wednesday, while in the snowstorm, it will have already happened. But yeah, I was on there previewing, and. I'm completely forgetting the point that I was about to make. <laughs> oh, that happens, it happens. This happens to me once a it time. Was, it was about Gabe. And um, uh, they were asking me about Gabe Brown, and he's the straw that stirs the drink that is Michigan State. And I was saying, yeah, he, he hasn't played well of late, but the thing that Gabe does is whether he plays well or not, he will always make a big play or an exciting play or a critical play. Like if Gabe hits a three, it either starts an 11-0 run, 
cuts one off from the other team, continues one, or he gets this high-flying alley-oop. End of the shot after, clock. After a big steal on the other end. Like, Hand like at he, the top of the square. If you, if you get the crowd to cheer at all for anything that happens, the next person you should look at if you have the ball in your hands is Gabe Brown and, and find some way for him to do something because whatever he does is going to be exciting. He's electrifying. And to your point, Brendan – as we kind of go down this list of players that did really well and why we all believe this is Michigan State's best effort of the season, they checked so many boxes. I mean, the point guard play was very good. Bingham played very well defensively. Hauser played his best game of the year. Hall played one of his best games of the year. Marble had four points and three rebounds off the bench in 14 minutes. That's fine production for when Bingham's in there. You know, Tyson Walker made jump shots in crucial moments. You go down, you know, as we talk about all these players, and you just check boxes for why this is the best game they've played to this point. Guys, we have a surprise for our viewers, and to do that, we're going to go straight out to our guest line, if I can figure out the phone here, to Rico Beard, who is on the phone in the studio. Rico, can you hear us? I can Thank you so much for calling in, Rico. Very, very appreciative. You've got me, Brendan, Luke Sloan to my left, Trent Bally to my right on the line. For those of you uh, listeners at home who criminally don't know who Rico is, he is the co-host of the Mike Valeni Show with Rico on 97.1 The Ticket uh, and a very prominent just Detroit sports personality overall. So, Rico, uh, we are talking about uh, the Michigan-Michigan State basketball game, and then we've got – some football questions for you and stuff, despite this being a uh, basketball podcast. We know uh, how much you love football. So my first question for you is, is I have a take on this game that it's not Michigan State's best win this year, but I think it's the best game that they have played, especially in the second half. And I know it's a down Michigan team, and I know it's at home, and those are all advantageous, but I still think that's the best overall game Michigan State has played this year. What did you see when you were there? I don't see that. Okay. I don't see the best overall win. I think the Wisconsin game, actually. Even though they started down 8-0? Yeah, they started off 8-0, and then they finished the game what, on an 86-60 to 60 run or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're never going to play perfect. You're never going to play 40 minutes of great basketball. So, imagine that 8-0 run came in the middle of the game. You would still say they probably played their best overall game. Is how I see it. Um, it was a great half um, against Michigan. I would also say, you know, I'm thinking like the, as far as half goes, man, uh, the Baylor first half. Yeah. When they were battling with Baylor for the first half. Down by two at half, like I think. They were there, and then they didn't. Yeah. Just like that. And so you were at the Michigan game, and you were in the press conference, too, just in front of us, and – a thing that stood out to me that we haven't talked about yet, guys, was Juwan Howard's comment regarding, uh, on the question from Lansing State Journal's Graham Couch, regarding Bingham's defense on Dickinson. Now, for those of you that don't know, uh, Graham Couch asked um, Juwan about how Bingham played defensively in the, day, in the game against Dickinson, who obviously we talked about had 25 points. And Juwan retorted with defending and asked Graham to repeat how many points Dickinson had and moved on to the next question. Rico, I personally thought that was a little bit out of line and kind of surprising in a game that Bingham, yeah, he didn't score well, but he had eight rebounds, four blocks, and two steals. I think almost all of them were on Dickinson. 
And, and yes, Hunter Dickinson played a great game, but I think Bingham just overall, the energy that he brought on both ends of the floor, especially defensively, was a big factor in the win. I mean, Bingham played a good game. I mean, <laughs> the game plan was simple. I mean, my God, a third-grade basketball coach could have figured out what was going on, but apparently Juwan Howard couldn't. Yeah, let Hunter Dickinson score all the points that he wants. You go right ahead, and by the end of the game, you're going to shoot yourself tired. It's the old rope-a-dope. You guys can Google that because I know you're all too young to know what the rope-a-dope was. <laughs> but it was how Muhammad Ali defeated a young George Foreman. Yes, George Foreman boxed before he became the grill master. George, he just let him punch him, put himself silly and tired, and at the end, he had no gas. Hunter Dickinson... When he gets the ball down low, you make him work, you make him do his moves, you'll go to the right, go to the right, go to the right, and then eventually go to the left. Everybody knew what he was going to do. But you make him work hard at it. When he's doing that, he's not passing the ball to his teammates. So they're not shooting threes. So, yes, the goal was Hunter was going to have a big day. But that was okay because you didn't want Caleb Houston. You didn't want any of those people to have big days. And that's why Michigan State won in a boat race. So, yeah, Bingham did his job, get in his way, block some shots, try to frustrate him. Don't make it easy, but make every point that he gets, he has to work for, and it worked to perfection. Yeah, Rico, you're right, because it was so obvious that even Coach Izzo said that after the game. He said, quote, we didn't really double down on Dickinson, but that was kind of the game plan, end quote. I mean, they, they just gave it to him. So I do want to ask you, though, uh, uh, to piggyback on the Bingham point, I have called him this team's MVP since day one. Maybe that was a little hyperbolic, a little Grand Rapids bias from me as I'm from there. But I want to know what your thoughts are because he's playing 20 minutes a game, and I think he should at least be in the 25 minutes per game range. What say you? Uh, Probably, but uh, like Bingham – he still hasn't fully recovered from uh, COVID, so he hasn't. He doesn't have the lung capacity that a he good point. did at the beginning of the season. So if you look at it, there was two Marcus Binghams. There was Bingham before Christmas where he looked like the MVP of the team, and then he struggled. He got COVID. He struggled for a couple of weeks. He almost disappeared. He didn't play much, and now he's starting to get back into shape, but I don't think he's fully gotten – his entire win back. So they kind of play him in hockey shifts where if you notice, and probably tonight you'll even see it again, he's probably going to get substituted out around the 17-minute range so that he can get that extra minute of break when the under-16 timeout comes in. That's how they're getting him his minutes, and, and it's like hockey shifts. Go out there, give it your all, and then come back to the bench, rest up, and then go back out there and give it your all again. Rico, another Headline from this game, Max Christie, the freshman, 16 points, 14 of them in the first half. In your opinion, because the NBA draft, the, the scouts, the, the general managers really like young, moldable players, it seems like these days. Do you think Max Christie is going to do enough to be a one-and-done player in East Lansing this year? Uh, probably. I mean, it's just, it, it's just where when all the scouts are telling you you're a highly ranked player, yes, especially if he has a big tournament, then I can see him leaving. If, if he can go out there. Now, the thing about Max is he's got to be consistent. Uh, he had a great first half against Michigan, had 14 points, and then had two points for the rest of the game. He's got to follow that up. Now, if he could do that, then, yeah, if you're a top-10 pick, then you almost have to go to the league. If you're, Here's where it gets 
difficult. If you're pick 15 through 30, if you go back, you Miles Bridges did it, and he was able to actually move up higher in the draft. But I look at a guy like Hunter Dickinson. He's probably going to fall in the draft because he's not having the same kind of success, and Michigan's not having the same success. So it's kind of one of those, are you going to bet on yourself type of thing? I, I could see if he has that tournament where he's, you clearly see he's going in there averaging 18 to 20 points a game, then, yeah, he's probably gone. But if the way he's playing now I think is still a decision of will it be best for him to come back, and it probably would be best for him to come back. Rico, before we switch gears, any reason for Michigan State fans to – worry at all over these next two road games at Maryland and at Rutgers before Spartans come back? Yes, Big Ten game on the road. Are you kidding me? I mean, there's no easy games on the road, period. You can get beat. And imagine if I told you, hey, there's going to be no Kofi Coburn out there and uh, uh, no uh, Carbello, you would have thought Michigan State just rolls Illinois. But it doesn't happen that way. It's home crowd, man, and tonight's going to be a blackout for Maryland, and I'm sure, what is it, Rutgers Saturday? Yes. The yeah, rack, the rack's the, a tough place. The rack is, it's probably one of the most difficult places in the Big Ten that nobody knows about. Yeah. So I want to ask you, Rico, one more thing about the schedule here is we now know that March 1st the Spartans will get that rematch with the Wolverines, or vice versa, I should say. Um, do you think – I'm just curious. This is a theory I have – do you think the Wolverines reschedule that game if they don't lose any slancing last weekend? I think they're going to reschedule regardless because if they beat Michigan State, then why don't you want to play them again? Right. I guess I'm just coming at it from the standpoint of maybe, you know, that puts them in a tough spot. Now they have three games in five days. Is that, is that the number uh, three days no, in the no, day? They, they needed that game. And for people like, well, Michigan State shouldn't have played. You know, guys, sometimes you just got to be fair. Last year, Michigan didn't need to play the makeup game against Michigan State, but they did. Michigan was in the tournament. They were top seed. Michigan State needed to win that game. This year, the tables are turned. Michigan State's in. They're looking to be probably a three seed. Michigan's out right now. So Michigan has to do what the Spartans did last year. They're going to have to play a lot of games on the road. I think that that stretch for them is, I think, Illinois, uh, Purdue, Michigan State, and Illinois, three in a row. Uh, it's, it's not really a good – that's a murderer's row right there. So, no, nah, I think if they won, they were going to play regardless because they need it because they don't have any good victories. So, as many as you can schedule. Now, by the end, if they're already out of it, then you know what? They may not even bother to show up for that game. You may all of a sudden get another, well, we got to cancel it again. We're, we're, we're sick again. Right. So as we've mentioned, Rico, this is definitely a basketball podcast, but we do want to talk some football. And uh, I was really intrigued listening to you and Mike's show the other day with an idea that you brought up, and I'm sure you've gotten a lot of uh, feedback on, and it's your Big Ten football realignment uh, type idea that's in three parts. And I'll real quick just go through the parts for our viewers that don't know. The first part is that the Big Ten, Pac-12, and ACC coalition that was signed off on that didn't really actually mean anything uh, this past offseason actually does something and they have a Big Ten ACC basketball type challenge where 
you play a comparable comparable team from each conference uh, twice in those first three non-conference games of the year. So that's part one. Part two um, is that the Big Ten goes back to the leaders and legends divisions, not by name but by content, um, to to even out the um, divisions a little bit more. The the East division has been eight zero in the Big Ten championship since they first switched to the East and West. And then the last part, which was the most intriguing, the most exciting part that I, if I could pick one of the three parts, get done right now, this is the one that I would choose, is that Week 12 is TBA for every team in the Big Ten. And then you have a four-team playoff where the one seed in the Big Ten plays the four seed, the two seed plays the three seed. The winner of those two games goes to Indianapolis for the other Big Ten teams for bowl eligibility and stuff. Five plays six, seven plays eight, nine plays ten, and so forth. But... Rico, first of all, where did you come up with the idea? You know, and what's the type of feedback you've been receiving, and, and how likely do you think it is that all of this gets done, or even any of this happens relatively soon? Well, it makes too much sense, so therefore, probably none of it gets right. done. If it does, it'll be like ten years from now. It's just kind of a combination of what everybody is saying. I mean, the answer is there. People just make things hard. Like, you know, how to expand the college football playoff. Man, it's real simple, but nobody wants to do it because everybody wants to say so in the matter so that they can say, well, it was my idea. Man, nobody gives a damn. Just change it and make it better. Now, as far as this goes, yeah, I think it's going to be a while before it does, but you got to beat the SEC to the punch. You got to kind of take away some of the teeth, and this does because now you're basically shutting the SEC out of non-conference games. So they're going to have to play all their games with the Big 12. That's it. Or a group of five teams. Whereas the other guys are saying, hey, imagine that, you know, you're Ohio State and you, you do the comparable team like the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Ohio State goes up against Clemson and USC. And for people like, well, that's not fair. You know what? If Ohio State beats Clemson and USC, chances are they're in the college football playoff. This pretty much guarantees the Big Ten will have a team represented in there, and when it expands, you'll probably have multiple teams in there. But, yeah, it allows it, – it gives the fans great games because, you know, yeah, people will be excited because Peyton Thorne's father's the OC for Western Michigan. But when you look across – and I remember I was there for the – when Michigan State played Oregon. And ESPN is there early, and it's like a highly ranked game. That's a fun atmosphere. You know, playing cupcakes, yeah, it's great because you know the Spartans are going to win. But, man, when you play and you beat a great team, that means something. I mean, look at Michigan State going down to Miami last year and beating the Hurricanes. Hurricanes weren't a great team, but it showed you that Michigan State is a lot further along than what we thought because that was talent against talent, and they shut down the quarterback that was, you know, an early Heisman Trophy candidate. So, yeah, with this, you want to go with that. And at the end of the season, the Big Ten did that in the COVID year when they had that final week all planned out that they were just going to pick and choose the teams that play. This way – you, you kind of you have more teams that are involved in the whole process. So you play your eight regular season games, and now there are four teams that can still have a, to make it to a trip to Indy. So you're, you're still invested, and you're not just out there playing the scrubs and looking forward to next year. So, yeah, I, I think it's really easy. And, yeah, the leaders and the legends, the Big Ten had it right the first time. It was a fair equitable split of talent and teams 
Now the Big Ten West has yet to win one Big Ten championship. So that tells me these conferences are out of whack. When you when it was leaders and legends, hey, one year Wisconsin won, uh, Michigan State won, Ohio State won. Like it flip flopped back and forth. You didn't know it wasn't a guarantee. Yeah, whoever wins the Big Ten East, that's going to be the champion. Because we this year Michigan and Iowa, that was a coronation. That wasn't a game. You knew they were going to win. It was just by how much, and you know who was going to be the MVP. Rico, going in a completely different direction, and I'm in completely different direction. Uh, everybody on Twitter follows you, knows you are a lover of Michigan State's alternative football helmets that they wore this year. Mel Tucker bringing in some new stuff. And I have to ask you, it's, it's a burning question. If you had to pick one alternate helmet that Michigan State wore this year that's your favorite, which one would that be? My favorite is actually the white uh, script state helmet. That's a great choice, yeah. I know a lot of people are going to say gruff, and I like gruff. I know Tucker likes gruff, but I like the script state helmet. It's just something about that thing. That's my favorite of the, that they wore this year. Like I said, gruff right there, the oversized gruff. I didn't like the tiny gruff that they came out with last year. No, it's terrible against, yeah, Penn State, I think, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You couldn't see what that was, but the oversized gruff shows up great on TV. Like I said, the script state across the helmet, the white one, I love that as well. Rico, you must have had a very unique, to put it lightly, uh, experience last Sunday. As I know, you are an avid San Francisco 49ers fan, and you're watching Matthew Stafford, who you've watched for years here in Detroit, although you're not a Lions fan. Uh, and I got to know, you know, now that Stafford got the best of them, who, what's, what's your Super Bowl prediction going into you know, the Super Bowl in two weeks? Out of Bengals by a thousand. Really? <laughs> Why is that? Uh, because I don't think Stafford deserves to have a Super Bowl after leaving this city high and dry for 12 years. Um, and honestly, I, I like Joe Burrow. I like his style. I like his swagger. I like how he's carrying the team. I like how Cincinnati is listening to him. And rather than going out like drafting Panay Sewell with their first pick last year, which made sense. He was like, no, 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 go get my old teammate. Go get Jamar Chase. I'll take the beating, but trust me, we're going to make a lot of touchdowns together. And they did that. He's in his second year, and he's leading this team. He's everything that Matthew Stafford wasn't. Well, can I ask you then, can I ask you who this, who who would a Super Bowl win mean more to then of these two guys? Because you got Joe Burrow, who basically, as you laid out, has his whole career ahead of him. And then you have Stafford, who could prove that, you know, it was really Detroit's fault all along. No, it couldn't. See, I think it would mean more for Joe Burrow because Matthew Stafford is on a great team. Joe Burrow is carrying his team. There's a difference. Joe Cincinnati, Cincinnati is not there if it wasn't for Joe Burrow. Guys, let's be honest. You could put a handful of quarterbacks in the same spot that Matthew Stafford is in, and the Rams will be in the same place. Remember, the, the Rams took Jared Goff to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I'm not saying Stafford is golf, but they made it there with Jared Goff. So maybe it's that whole team, whereas I look at Cincinnati, that's Burrow's team. And you can see he commands a large presence. Not to, I mean, down the line, 
Burrow is going to be right up there with Mahomes and Josh Allen as the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. So, Rico, uh, a former high school teacher of mine, former coworker of yours at 101.5, helped us set this up. So we want to thank Matthew Derry for getting you on here with us. Uh, he he kind of connected the two of us. But he does uh, have a couple questions that yeah. that I am supposed to ask you. Um, and, and for our listeners who don't listen to your show with Mike, um, what's what's your take on this, the whole Harbaugh with just holding the entire university hostage, basically, over there in Ann Arbor? You know what? The university... They allowed it. They allowed this bad behavior. Harbaugh is like, you know, the the child you take to the grocery store who throws the tantrum whenever they want the cereal they want, and you say, no, we need to get vegetables. I want cereal. And you know what? You just give in. The university is allowing him to do this, and it's a bad look because they sold their soul to get him. Uh, you know, the late, great Drew Sharp, we had a conversation when they first got hired, and I remember telling him, like, Drew, what happens if this doesn't work out? And he's like, it has to, because they they don't have any place else to go. If you couldn't get it done with the, the prodigal son who came home, Bo's captain, Bo's adopted son, then you can't get it done. This is the guy. There's no higher... Unless you're going to get Bill Belichick or Tom Brady, there's nobody higher than Jim Harbaugh at the University of Michigan. He knows that, so he's allowed to do whatever he wants to do there. And he's showing you it's so but, – but Michigan is, is too cowardly to just fire him. Last year, instead of just letting him go, they're like, well, we're going to cut your salary in half, hoping that he would be insulted and leave. He called their bluff. He came back and won. And then when they tried to give him his money back, he was like, nah, I don't even need your money. And people are like, well, that means, you know, he's doing it for free. No, it's not. Guys, let me tell you what it's like. You're young. Try missing your girl. Miss Valentine's Day. Oh, boy. Show up, show up the next day with flowers to your girlfriend. She's going to throw those flowers right back at you. She doesn't want them that day. She wanted them the day before. That was Harbaugh. He wanted his money but you took it away from him, and now you want to give it back? He said, give it to whoever you want. You can give it to the bums on the street. I don't care. I don't want your money. So now it's to the point where Michigan still offered him a contract, but we're not going to pay you the same money that Mel Tucker or James Franklin is getting. We're going to pay you less. So Michigan, it's a breakup that neither one wants to break up. Michigan wants Harbaugh to quit, and Harbaugh is waiting for an NFL job to quit, but he can't get one. So they're stuck in a loveless marriage, and that's just what it is. It's a loveless marriage. It works. Occasionally they have fun, but in the end, each one probably wishes the other one was dead. So with that being said, it sounds like you don't think he gets hired by Minnesota or any, or any of the other openings this offseason. If he takes the plane to Minnesota, if I was Michigan, I would say, you're not coming back. If you get on that plane, go get the job because you're not coming back here. We're going to move on. But Michigan playing around with Harbaugh, they're, they're basically going to be in an interim coach situation next year, probably with Gaddis as the interim coach. 
I mean, their schedule is so rudimentary. They can probably win eight games easily because they're playing nobody. And then you can go for a full coaching search the next year. Now, the dangerous thing is, you know, do we fire Josh Gaddis if he gets nine games? Or you overpay. I mean, it's when D'Antonio left Michigan State, and Michigan State had to go and overpay. First for Luke Fickle, he turned it down. Then they had to pay even more money to get Mel Tucker to leave Colorado. So if Michigan's going to pay somebody $9 million, you're probably better off giving that to Harbaugh in the first place, but you didn't want to. It's so convoluted. I, I mean, thank God I'm not a Wolverine. <laughs> I think you speak for all of us. Um, another guy who's not a Wolverine is your uh, co-host and co-worker, Mike Valeni, who you've worked with for a while now. And as, as Trent likes to say, let's just call a spade a spade. Mike has rubbed I think some people the wrong way over his career uh whether it's fans or um other people in the uh sports journalism world but you've worked with Mike for a while I'm a fan of Mike Matt Derry is obviously a, a close friend and fan of Mike Valeni uh so Derry asks that you tell us what's it like working with him and what's something that you know people you know behind the microphone after the the record button has been pressed that we don't get to see uh from him a lot um, well, first of all, I mean, working with him, Mike's very professional. I mean, there are a lot of guys in this business who just kind of mail it in and they just do hit the easy button topics where working with Mike, you don't always go for easy. Now, sometimes, yeah, you just go for easy if it's staring you in the face, but you try to find something to really make the people think, to really make the people take a sigh. And it's okay to make people uncomfortable because a lot of people in this business are afraid to make people uncomfortable. They want to make people happy and smile. Whereas if you look at the truly great folks, they're the ones that either you love them or hate them because you better bring an opinion and don't just say, Hey, you know, what's your favorite color? No, bring an opinion on everything because that's what the people really want. So that's what I've learned and just working with him. And, you know, he he really is like that, like how he is on the radio, off the radio. It's not an act. Uh, you know, our converse, private conversations have more profanity, lace tirades in it, but he's really like that. Um, but, yeah, he's just – he's a professional. And he knows what he's doing. And, yeah, that's probably one of the best people I've ever worked with. I think you make a, a very good point that he uh, he certainly doesn't take the the easy route and, and doesn't push that easy button like you talked about. And uh, the last no, guys, I'm telling you, if if you if you want to go far in this business, if you go easy button radio, you'll you'll get a decent job in some mid level city, and the fans will love you. But if you want to go far. You can't be afraid of controversy or pushing the button or talking about that thing that makes people uncomfortable. So go ahead. Last well, question. Well, we greatly appreciate the advice. And uh, the last one from the diesel is not a question, but more of a request that I don't think any of us have heard. Uh, he's asking that you tell us the draft battle story. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I knew he was going to say yeah. that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> If, if, so at 105-1, we, we did this draft. We had, like, the fans come in, the P1s, the ones who have been with, you know, listen to the station all the time. We divided them up in teams. So 
we you had to predict who the pick was going to be and turn it in. Whoever got the correct picks, it was a points thing, and the winning uh, show got a trophy. So we we're doing this, and it's the Lake and Tomlinson pick for the Lions. So all of a sudden, uh, one of the production promo guys was like, "Oh, I know who the Lions are going to pick." So we couldn't have phones, and you know, I'm like, "Dude." Don't tell me. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. We can't. You can't tell me. And through verbal diarrhea, he just comes out and still says, "Yeah, it's like in Tomlinson." So I'm like, well, well, "Why? Why did you say that?" I think he ended up either quitting or getting fired because it it was like, "Dude, we told you don't say a word." So I, now I know the pick. Uh, Marcus Ray was on the team. He was on my team. So I go back to the table and. I, I got to recuse myself. I can't say anything because I know, and they're going on and on and on, and Marcus knows football. And Marcus is like, well, I think, you know, they're probably going to go offensive line. So he was like, what was that guy I, was from Duke or whatever? It was like, Lakin Tomlinson. And so he's, they, they put the name down. So, you know, Deeds is like, well, you guys cheated. I'm like, dude, I did not tell them. So we got into this big fight there that spilled over a couple days later in the studio. And I'm like, I swear to God, I did not cheat, but I'm not going to sit here and get accused of cheating. We didn't cheat. We did what we had to do. We got the name right. I said nothing to them. So that's, and so finally, eventually it, it, it died down, but no, it was, it got pretty heated that night. Hey, and the cherry on top is Lakin Tomlinson is now a, a guard for your 49ers. So yeah, and I he's said, actually good for y'all, yeah. too. He didn't do anything here. Right. So, yeah, whenever I see him, I always laugh like, yep, I remember that night. <laughs> yeah, that night, that he, yeah, that, that caused a lot of controversy. <laughs> a lot. Well, so. Rico, thank you uh, very much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, talk to us, and we'll certainly see you uh, around East Lansing at, at some of the events coming up. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, guys. Take care. Have a good one. Thank you, Rico. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Is that, the other person? that was Rico Beard. the uh, What a guy. Co-host, 97.1, Mike Valeni and Rico. Monday through Friday, shout 2 out, to 6. Shout out Matt Derry for hooking that up. We'll have to get Derry on the podcast I was just about well. to say, maybe a future guest yeah. on the Impact but, 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 but stay tuned to, to Impact Is Keep your eyes peeled because... These guests are not. We're, we're, we, uh, we are we've, we've got a clip now. I was just going to say, let's say Trent Bally has got something in the works that he may or may not be attending to after the podcast, and that could relate to potential this business podcast, meeting. Which, yeah, it is a business meeting, which we do have to get the hell out of here because Michigan State basketball is currently yep. playing Maryland. We so cover the team, so we should probably we, watch. We have to go. No college basketball bonanza. Watch Texas, Texas Tech. If you're hearing this on Wednesday, go or back. Or Iowa State, Kansas. Kansas like Iowa you said, State, Brandon. Kansas as well. That'll do it for Trent Valley, Luke Sloan. I'm Brandon Shabbat. See you next time. This has been Impact Is Own. For more, visit impact89fm.org forward slash sports.